Good evening, everyone. I'm Kero O'Shea, the convener of Membership Voice, and it's great to have you with us tonight. Tonight's presenter and interviewee, Rebecca Fry, is one of our fine young Rotary leaders. Beck is a former District Rotaract representative, Rotaract Australia chair, and as we know, of course, the founder of the Rotary Social Impact Network. Rebecca is also co-founder of the Rila Oceania Initiative, which is one of the most amazing things to happen in that space, as well as being a planning and community engagement professional of high standing. Rebecca has also spoken at Rotary International Assembly, and I am delighted to introduce Rebecca Fry. Over to you, Beck. Thanks so much, Caro. I really appreciate the opportunity and the invitation to present tonight. I know that you've been keen for me to present on this topic for a little while now and very exciting to be able to showcase where we've come from over the last 12 months and where we are now and hopefully provide some clubs with a bit of an insight as to some of the things that we're doing really differently with our new club. The goal of this presentation will, as a starting point, uh, will be to essentially provide quite a significant overview of where we're at. And then at the end, we'll have time for questions so that we can deep dive into the areas that people are particularly interested in. So essentially, we'll cover off our origin story, how we've engaged our members, how we achieve social impact, what we do in terms of developing leaders and having fun and where we're at right now and how you can follow our journey. So to kick things off, I did want to chat about our origin story, uh, at least briefly, because I wanted to highlight that these things don't necessarily happen easily and they don't necessarily happen intentionally either. For me, it was really a series of three events that happened in quick succession of each other that enabled us to look at starting this club. So I, I am until, well, maybe I've transitioned. I'm currently at a crossroads in terms of being a member of the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. So that was my first Rotary E-Club uh, or first Rotary Club. Um, and I really was enjoying the membership that I was having within the e-club of silicon valley and didn't have any intentions around yeah starting certainly no intentions of starting or changing clubs at that point in time come january last year i was invited to attend the district international sorry the international assembly in san diego one of 60 rotor actors so i was very much charged up we were conscious around the poor statistics around rotor actors joining Rotary and we were certainly feeling highly engaged within the Rotary network. In February, I presented at the Australian Rotaract Conference specifically on my road to Rotary and how others can find their path from Rotaract into Rotary as well. And yes, the statistic has, has been that less than 5% of Rotaractors go on to join Rotary and less than 5% of Rotarians are under 40. So we know that certainly an area of opportunity for us. We did, Road Act Australia did a bit of a poll on the day that I was presenting and the question for them was, do you think you'll join Rotary one day? So we know that we've got less than 5% of Rotary actors going on to join Rotary and yet 92% of them answered yes, that they wanted to in fact uh, join Rotary uh, in the future. So that essentially meant that we had 
a huge gap. We had a huge number of members wanting to join Rotary, yet we weren't seeing the transition actually occur. Following that, in the March, I was presenting in New Zealand at the South Pacific President-elect training that they hold for all districts. And I really have to say thank you to District Governor-elect Andy from the Gold Coast and also Andrew Best, who's on this call. We started to talk a little bit about the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. We were talking about then the opportunity to bring a similar model to Australia. And so the seed was planted. And while I had no intention of starting a Rotary Club at that point in time, there was certainly yeah, enough motivation and support to be able to look at actually solving effectively a community need. So that's, that's the background of where we've come from. So then I put the word out to a whole bunch of Rotary actors and Rotary alumni as well. And I said, if we, you know, built this club kind of based around Silicon Valley, you know, looking at really transforming the model of Rotary, would you be interested? And within one week, we had 50 potential members. So then what did we look at in regards to our engagement strategy? So essentially what we did, we really looked at how could we reduce the time and the financial uh, commitment that was required for participants to be involved in Rotary and reshape that into achieving significant social impact outcomes as well. At the end of this presentation, I'll actually share with you our charter member information pack that we shared with our members to show you what information we actually provided them with to engage them, how we formed the messaging around our club, how we talked about fees, because fees can definitely still be a barrier, how we then talked about how we wanted to engage with our members and the benefits, the value proposition to them for being involved as well. So if we then start to look at, well, what do we do? Particularly as a global e-club, there's often a lot of confusion or lack of awareness around how we can actually do service while uh, not meeting face-to-face. -face. So one of the things that we've done is we've really highlighted what we want to be, our, what we call our social impact principles. So we've selected some key focus areas that our members are engaged with, specifically their environmental and sustainability, Indigenous Affairs and First Nations, youth projects, and disaster relief is something that's come up as well, uh, particularly out of the bushfires earlier this year. We then look at, like I said, low cost and time investment for our members, initiatives that are non-geographically bound so that anyone can have the same membership experience regardless of where they are, flexible timing, the, our impact is measurable and it's also scalable as well. So what does that look like in real life? So when it came to the bushfires at the beginning of this year, one of the challenges that we had was everyone wanted to help, but it was essentially challenging when we knew that the thing that the communities needed most was money and we knew that we were not a fundraising club and we didn't really have the capacity to make a real difference on that front, particularly being, you know, before we were counted and unofficial. So what we then looked at was how could we add a financial impact in an indirect way? One of the things that had come up was that the Australian Red Cross was essentially still looking for 
donations for their retail stores so that we, they could then on sell those items and make money from them. Whereas the warnings from government and the communities had been, we don't want to receive clothing items and the like at the moment because their houses had burned down and they had nowhere to store them. So what we then looked at uh, was we looked at doing a, what we called an op shop hop. So we went out to all of our members and said, all right, clean out your cupboards. It's summer anyway, you know, time to revamp your wardrobe. We had 80 bags that were donated as part of that initiative. And if we very conservatively estimate that only each item or each bag had five items in it and that each item was sold for $10, bearing in mind, I know that I stuffed my bags with a lot more than five items. So it's a very conservative estimate. Then that's a $4,000 impact that we were actually able to achieve just by cleaning out our, our, um, our cupboards in a synchronized way. And if we, so that's the measurable element and the scalable element is that it was really easy to get our families involved. It wasn't actually just limited to us. So I had a great day out with my mum as an example, where she had cleaned out all of her wardrobes as well. We had a lovely mother daughter day and had the opportunity to actually create that positive impact as well. In addition to just donating our clothes, we then also went on to purchase clothes and restock as well. So there was additional funds that were then supported through that mechanism. So really thinking differently and outside the box, had we done a fundraising event, the chance of us raising $4,000, particularly in that period of time, and given our structure, would have been really limited. So then if we start to then look at how we develop leaders, so leadership is a really important element, particularly for young professionals. I mean, it should be important right across our careers, but it's particularly important for young professionals and you know, those who are kind of going into managerial roles and the like. So we have a number of different initiatives specifically focused around developing our leaders. We have a professional development focused book club where we uh, essentially select a, a book. It's, we're currently reading Simon Sinek's Start With Why. If you've heard of, heard of Simon, he's a thought leader on leadership and how people manage or more more accurately why why they do what they do so yeah we meet and we discuss these thought thought leadership ideas our catch-up on our book club actually happens to be tomorrow so that happens for us monthly we then do a lot actually in the rotary learning and development space so uh, one of our, our vice president is actually a learning and development director or coordinator or chair for our district and so, yeah, we've been getting a lot of information and courses and that to ensure that our members are actually upskilled on Rotary as well. We are in the process of building a leadership program internally, and we're doing that partnering with Toastmasters, who have become one of Rotary International's global partners as well. And we're also looking, and um, we do have member-driven content as well. So whenever we see things that we believe will be of value and interest to other people, we make sure that we share that within, within our club. Now, when it comes to fun and fellowship, we all know that the social element's really important. So we've got a few different initiatives that we employ. One is Coffee with a Rotarian, where we organise one-on-one uh, -on -one social catch-ups with each other. Obviously, there's been a lot of online catch-ups given the COVID-19 situation, but this was the sort of stuff that we were doing prior to COVID as well in terms of jumping onto a Zoom, having a coffee or a wine, 
and just having a bit of a chat and getting to know each other. We've then got a host of specialist groups on our members portal as well. And uh, so one of those groups is the foodies group who love to share recipes and what they're cooking and bond over uh, that particular element. There's some uh, probably a bit of competition going on. There's how-to videos. And we also have a group that focuses on hiking and the great outdoors. Given we can't all get together and go hiking at the moment, one of the things that we've been showing is all of our photos from around the world in terms of our favourite spots that we've hiked, which has been pretty cool. And we'll look forward to organising both in-person and virtual events going forward. But essentially the options are endless. If we have enough members who are interested in a particular topic, we can add a channel in and around that. And then, so where are we now? We have 30 charter members. We, an innovative part of our meeting model is that uh, we actually don't have weekly club meetings. We don't have any club meetings at all. We use a membership portal and I'll, I'll show you that at the end of this as well. And that will start to show how we delve into the different elements that I've been talking about. We have a controlled growth strategy around our membership. So making sure that we're increasing our membership at a scalable rate. So we've currently ended our membership at 30. Our goal is to then reopen membership come July. We'll call for applications for a certain number of places that are available. And then, like I said, we'll grow from there. The reason for that is to ensure that we're engaging uh, members who are uh, like-minded, but also to ensure that we can provide them with a high quality experience as well. Our demographic at the moment is 25 to 40 years old. We are not exclusive on that front. That's just our current demographic. And everyone involved is either a Rotary alumni or has been involved in Rotary youth programs in the organising teams. We have 87% of our members who are active or past rotor actors, so really vamping up that 5% figure. And while uh, most people of our members at the moment are Australians, we've got all states covered and the ACT, but we are a global club, so we cover six countries, four continents, and about 15 different districts. So, and in, in an exciting announcement today, we actually did officially receive our charter certificate today. So the timing couldn't have been more perfect for us for this presentation. So I know that a bunch of our members are, are on the line and uh, yeah, at the end we might do a little cheers. I've um, personally got a little wine glass at the ready because it, it does call for celebration. But we will be also then having a formal charter event down the track as well. So charter events coming soon. We're on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. We'll continue to engage on that front. And if you particularly want to get in touch with me, happy to share my email and contact details as well. Now, before I sign off and we go to questions, the magical question is, what does this portal look like? So I'll give you a quick sneak peek. This is our membership portal. So there's a, we're using a platform called Microsoft Teams. And essentially, yes, we don't have weekly club meetings. Instead, we are open 24-7. So you'll see we've got a general channel where we shared our breaking news that we're officially a club. You know, we've got previous posts as well that we submitted our application to Rotary International. That's all just our general club chat. Now that one I'll just show as an example. So we've got all these channels that I was talking about around disaster relief, environmental sustainability, our book club. But I'll show you our hiking group because 
this was one of the ways that we've clearly socially connected during isolation. So the question was, you know, we reached out and we said, all right, we know that we can't go hiking at the moment, but we know that we've got a huge passion for it. So share all of your favorite hiking photos. And we had everything from Mount Kosciuszko to the middle of rural New South Wales. Then we went, we've got Adelaide, we've got Canada, we've got uh, Central Australia as well. We've got Vietnam. So there were a whole, we kind of traveled the world virtually as we were all connecting and starting to build our own uh, hiking wish list again. Um, and really cool to just engage in, in kind of specialist top, um, topic, you know, that we're interested in beyond rotary as well. So the only other thing then that I wanted to quickly show you was our membership board. So this was our charter information pack. And essentially we just covered off, you know, how we're looking to transform the traditional model of Rotary, what our structure is, and then looking at, you know, how we want to basically provide a personalized version of Rotary. And one of the key things we did as well, and this is the last thing that I want to highlight beyond our portal, is we were very transparent around where funds go and how money is spent, because we know that fees can be a challenge, but we really wanted to ensure that people understood not just where their money was going, but what value was provided as well around, you know, insurance, training, support, online resources, et cetera. And we also then ensure flexibility by providing a discount to rotor actors and to students to ensure that we're acknowledging, you know, their, their essentially their personal circumstances as well. So that wraps up the overview and the nutshell uh, that I wanted to provide. Very happy to hand back over to Caro so that we can start to take some questions. And we do have a few questions for you, Beck. Just, just one or two dozen. Beck, starting a new Rotary Club is a big commitment. What triggered your decision to start the Rotary Social Impact Network? The trigger point for me was understanding the the need and the demand so I was really I really was happy in my my current or previous rotary club but as soon as I realized that there were so many people who really wanted to join a rotary club but didn't necessarily didn't necessarily have the this I'll say the skills or experience to be able to to drive something because it is a lot of work. It's taken us 12 months to get to this point and we've had an amazing network of people around us. So yeah, the trigger point for me was once I started to ask people, is this something you'd be interested in joining? And we had such an overwhelmingly positive response. I mentioned that within one week we had 50 people join our group. We now have 260 people in that group. So yeah, as soon as we realized that the demand was there, that that was the trigger point for me. That was the exciting element. It was like, great, if I do this, then I'll actually, you know, create value for people. So you did your sums, developed the concept and fired. Um, there's also the concept of, there's a great TED talk, which is called How to Start a Movement. And it's a guy, it's a three minute video. There's a guy who's crazy dancing. And really what the video is talking about is the importance of having a first follower. 
and someone who's going to support you throughout the journey. And I would say I'm probably lucky that I've had two or three first followers in that sense who've really supported this whole journey. And I know we wouldn't be here without those people. So knowing that there were people right in my corner, our corner, uh, to make this happen, yeah, that certainly made a massive difference as well. I wasn't, I wasn't a lone nut, uh, which, is, which is the concept used in the video. Um, yeah, it was, there was a group of us who were keen to do this. So all those impact areas that you're talking about, how do you manage it so, so as to make sure that you have a meaningful impact rather than just fluffing around? Yeah, so we're going through our strategic development for each of those areas at the moment. I used one case study around the disaster relief element. So the first thing that we look at, so one of the reasons that we have those impact areas is so that we actually know what areas we're focusing on. In my experience within Rotary, there's obviously, we've got six areas of focus and there are initiatives that fall outside of those initiatives as well. But there's kind of the, the way that I've seen a lot of Rotary clubs build their projects. Yes, you might survey members, but often it might be that, yeah, there's a, I'll, I'll use pet project for want of a better word, that a member comes up with, they're really happy to drive, the club's really happy to put resources behind them and that's really exciting. But all of those individual, you know, club projects often operate in isolation rather than actually coming together to form an overall strategy for what the club wants to do. So the reason for having the focus areas, it means that anytime we get someone come to us with a project as a starting point, we can at least say, is this one of our focus areas? And our focus areas were selected by our members. We did a membership survey and we said, which, are the area, which areas are you passionate about? And yeah, the results actually surprised us. We had a couple of areas that we thought would be high up that weren't. And that's okay. At the end of the day, it's got to be what the members, what the members want as well. In regards mm. to then the fluffing around piece, that's where the social impact principles come in as well. One of the things that we do is we actually leverage the expertise of our members and we do actually have quite, you know, a great range of professions, everything from design thinking, environmental scientists who essentially become subject matter experts on some of our areas in the disaster relief realm. You know, we have people who have specifically worked in, yeah, that type of crisis crisis relief. My background is actually previously in corporate social responsibility. So we had to do a lot of impact reporting around what we were achieving as a company. And an impact report is something that I actually want to be able to deliver at the end of our year so that we're measuring what we're doing and we're actually looking at the difference that we're achieving. And we're looking at outcomes rather than inputs or outputs. So rather than saying we donated X dollars to this particular initiative, we're looking at the value that's created, you know, beyond that as well. But sponsorship for uh, new clubs is something of a vexed issue. Some really go for it, like my club did. Others avoid it, like the plague. What has the Rotary Social Impact Network done in terms of sponsorship? 
Super. Initially, we were looking at having sponsorship. We were going to be a spin-off out of the Rotary E-Club of Silicon Valley. As time went on, we realized that we actually wanted to take a new meeting model approach, and that was the no meeting model approach. So I guess that was where we started to diverge in terms of what we were actually delivering on. We had amazing support at a district level and at a Rotary International level. RISPO were incredibly helpful for us. Um, Andrew Best and his team answered absolutely any question that we've had. And the district 9685 has been phenomenal. So in that context, we've kind of surrounded ourselves with a group of mentors and experts and support rather than just having one sponsoring club. What problem, what was the main problem that you set out to solve by creating the Rotary Social Impact Network? Can I have two? <laughs> okay, you can have two. All right, so one, pro one problem I was specifically trying to solve was engagement of members over attendance. That's... That's something that, to be honest, I've even experienced in my own current Rotary Club was there, there started to become this shift of focusing on, on attendance. And from my perspective, I think there's a lot more value that can be gained. The other problem that we were trying to solve was really being able to provide members with the value from Rotary that they wanted. So really looking at personalising Rotary. So rather than being geographically bound and requiring all of our members to be interested in all of the projects and all of the content that we had on offer, we really wanted to be able to say to members, all right, what are you specifically interested in and have them zone in and focus on those, those elements. One of the key questions that we ask all of our members is, what do you want to give to the Rotary Social Impact Network? And importantly, what do you want to get out of it? So if they have an awareness of something that they specifically want to achieve, let's just say, for example, they're really interested in endangered animals. That's not one of our focus areas, but we can partner, um, pair them up with the Rotary Action Group for endangered species, for example. Um, so it's being able to enhance their Rotary journey above the club experience as well. We're kind of the the vehicle for that global experience of Rotary. Thanks, Beck. Not everything goes according to plan. What are some of the things that you've tried that didn't go quite so well? That's an excellent question. I would say one of the things that we tried that didn't work out so well was certainly having over-ambitious targets to start with. So we, when this originally started, given how much interest we had, we thought that we were going to be able to get up and running in about two to three months. And yeah, from a Rotarians on paper perspective, absolutely could have, but we would have just kind of, we wouldn't have had the strong foundation that we actually have now by spending 12 months, whether you've got, you know, it's not necessarily about just hitting the magic number of we've got 20 people let's charter it's actually about building a strong foundation that you can then build on and build on so 
I guess I was initially naive around the time that it would take to develop that strategy to get people, not get them on board because they were already on board, but to build something that actually resonated beyond an idea. One of the issues that we come up with that has derailed Rotary Clubs is the reality that there's a core group at the, at the, at the core, if you like, the centre of the club, that if they fall over, the whole, even, even with quite a large organisation, the whole club can, can come unstuck. What are you doing at this early stage to prevent burnout and to share the load of those core things? Yeah, thank you. So one of the things that we're working on at the moment, there's actually two documents. One document we're working on is a club culture document and the other document we're working on is a, um, essentially a membership document as well. The reason for that is, you know, as part of my Rotaract experience, I had seen the peaks and troughs even of my own, you know, the Rotary Club that I was a part, Rotaract Club that I was a part of. At the peak, we had about 50 Rotaractors and it only took one, you know, change in leader who had a different vision for the club to essentially derail. Look, they changed the vision, so members weren't engaged. It wasn't the vision that they had originally bought into, and club membership honestly dropped down to oh, 10. It was pretty dire, um, and it was amazing how quickly that could fall apart. We realised that while we had had a general understanding as members as to what our, well, we thought we had an understanding as members, as to what we stood for, what our culture was, as a young professionals club, it wasn't actually documented anywhere. So when a new president came in and actually started to change things, we couldn't say, hang on a second, we all agree that we're a young professionals club and we're focused on professional development and that's how we do our service. And so we actually had nothing tangible to, to stand on. Yes, we were left because of that lack of foundations really anyone, any leader could take the club anywhere they like. Yes, So you're exactly right. Whereas what we've done is, yes, we're building out the documentation, but we surveyed our members along the way even to build the club so that this hasn't just been Beck's vision and Beck's idea. Yes, I've been leading the charge, but we've been looking at how do we, what is it that our members want? Like I said, one of my personal interests was actually health, but health wasn't then voted as one of our focus areas. And that's okay. Like at the end of the day, it's the members club. It's not my club. If I want to do health projects, I can absolutely go and pair with other action groups and projects overseas and other rotary clubs and the like. So yeah, the key is if you can get everyone really on board from the beginning, that will then help as we start our, you know, to continue and build in our succession planning as well. How have you balanced that the need for the president to be a leader with the importance of the members owning the club? How, how do you balance those things? Yeah, so I think part of that comes back to the, the first followers that I was talking about. And, yeah, if I look at previous and mistakes I made along the, the way with this club as well, but also in terms of previous Road Act experience as well. It's about really learning and understanding the skills, capabilities and interests of each of your members 
because yeah, there were certainly times when I held on to things that I probably should have let go of sooner. And similarly, there were things that I let go of that probably I needed to manage more, more closely. I'm not strong on an administration front. I'm very lucky that our secretary owns her own administration consulting business. So we're, we're saved on that front. But yeah, right up at the front, I really, before Michelle was involved, I'd really kind of delegated or handed over the reins of the admin more broadly because I knew it wasn't my strength, but then I wasn't necessarily across some of the things that, that needed to happen as well. So I guess to some extent, that's also one of the things that, that hadn't worked so well. But yeah, the key is ongoing communication in my mind. So yeah, we have ongoing dialogue with different key groups of people to ensure that, you know, who's got capacity, who's struggling. We develop the social connections so that we can be, we trust each other and we're transparent about where things are at and we have fun while we're, while we're at it as well. So yeah, looking at, at how we can continue that dynamism, that understanding and continuing to be built into the common vision as well. I heard a great quote today, which, is, which was in Simon Sinek's book for this week, which was around, we call it succession planning because, yeah, essentially we want the successes to come in and follow on from the, the groundwork that's been done. And if you compare and look at different and review different CEOs, you see some who are great successes and others who come in and really shift the vision of the company and we see really strong companies actually really move away from how they were built. And he said that's why it's called succession planning, not replacement planning. Looking at the fundamentals of a club, uh, despite all the things that it does and sets out to achieve, at the end of the day, it's a set of relationships between a group of people. As president and as founder of, of Arson, how are you going to try and future-proof the the maintenance of those relationships, people getting to know one another and strengthening those relationships. Yeah, so there's a couple of elements there. One of them is looking at, well, what does the member journey look like? So there's expression of interest, there's application, there's onboarding once they're a member, and then there's ongoing engagement. And then there's also exit as well. And exit, we often undervalue as in we haven't had anyone exit yet. But, you know, when people do exit, you know, it's really important not just to say, why did you leave, but also to make that exit experience as, as positive for them as possible. So essentially, it's looking at what does that whole journey actually look like? It's ensuring that we have, you know, we continue to get feedback from our members. I think our 24-7 portal really helps with that. While our board chat is private, all of the minutes are circulated all of the decisions are there it's really easy for us to do quick polls with our members as well because they're all all there you know engaging in the same platform at the same time and it's really then also focusing on helping people to have decision making capacity in the areas that they're interested in as well so if they're interested in disaster relief projects let's get them making decisions and providing feedback about disaster relief projects rather than what's our next public image campaign going to be. How do you ensure that people get value for their input to, to Arsenal? I mean, obviously, there's a, uh, 
you know, there, there, there are annual subs and there are other costs associated with it and there's a cost of commitment. How do you make sure that that's value for, for what they put in? Yeah, so as I mentioned, when everyone did their application form, we asked them what do they want to get out and what do they want to give? We're basically mapping that out at the moment because we're going to be calling for um, our committees to start forming shortly. And we want to ensure that everyone, it's not just you have to be on a committee. It's all right, well, what are the committees that align with the areas of interest that you have, the skills that you want to develop? So for example, I was chatting to one of our members today, you know, and I said, which are the areas are you interested in? And he's like, I really want to develop my marketing skills. He's got a marketing degree, but he's early on. And he's also really interested in youth. And I'm like, great. Like, we can just channel you into those areas and you don't have to worry about all the things that you're not interested in on that front. And then it's looking at how do we give our members specific projects that they can either contribute to or own so that if, for example, our member who wants to develop their, their marketing skills, they can actually say, you know, I led this particular campaign and these were the results that I achieved from doing that. And it actually becomes like a CV piece rather than, I held the position of public image chair for a year. A question about an organisation that is displaying so much promise, how do you avoid something that, that sneaks into probably more rotary clubs than we care to think, a group think? How, how, do you, how do you avoid that? That is an excellent question. We definitely have a diverse range of professions. We have a diverse range of genders and we have we do have a global membership base. So that helps as a starting point. In addition to that, we've documented what our values are as a, as a club. And one of those values is actually innovation. But you're right, it's easy to, you can then get stuck on, on that path as well. In regards to experience, we have a few members who have either strategic planning experience or ideation and design thinking experience and they're certainly areas that we're looking to leverage and it's also ensuring that we're not always just relying on the one person to be running those sessions so rather than just having the one person who always does the strategic plan how do we look at you know providing those opportunities to different people because even though we're like-minded we'll certainly have different ways of doing things based on our on our backgrounds so it's, in, it's ensuring that we find that balance between what we're, you know, what our members are, are good at and maintaining that level of quality while also not sharing around for sharing around sake, but ensuring that, yeah, we're, we're basically recruiting the skills that we need to stay dynamic. Regarding committees and projects, how do you envision the process of executing impact projects in a digital and globally dispersed club? Yep. Uh, so most of that comes back to our social impact principles. So when we built out the project, for example, for the Op Shop Hop, there was a proposal that was circulated to our core team members that said, all right, and it demonstrated, all right, how does this hit? The, the low time and the low cost perspective. Well, low time because it's cleaning out your cupboard and donating a few things that many people would be doing anyway. Low cost because all you have to do is petrol to the, <laughs> to the 
donation center. All of the other product was essentially there. It was flexible in that people could do it at any time that they wanted to do it. It was non-geographically bound because there are Australian Red Cross centres around uh, all around Australia, but also globally as well. So it meant that our members overseas, even though they weren't contributing directly to the bushfires, there was no reason why they couldn't clean out their cupboards and also then support, you know, the types of service, the types of organisations that are, you know, supporting initiatives in their own local areas as well. So there was a sense of, you know, community in and around that. We ensured it was measurable. So we said, all right, how are we actually going to determine what our impact will be? So we had already worked out, okay, we can calculate the bags. We can do an approximation for the clothes. We can map out what that financial impact might be. And right from the get-go, we already had a, a, a basically a measurable impact tracker from the beginning. So that was a, a clear part. And then, like I said, the, the piece around is this scalable? Can we bring other people on the journey as well? So it's about bringing together a proposal providing that to our, our, our board. We've got a, a service committee that will be uh, pulled together shortly. So they'll then have essentially an assessment criteria. One of the things we need to show is that we have a group of members who are actually interested in doing this. So it needs to be more than just one person championing it. We need about five people who are like, yep, I'm keen. This is what I want to do. And I will support this. And then... Yeah, then it's the opportunity to go from there. And there needs to be an action plan. It can't just be an idea. I think that's sometimes where we slip up is approving ideas, um, which, is, yeah. which is great in concept. And it's also got to be, the other thing we want to do is it's got to be self-funded, right? So how is this going to be sustainable in terms of either funds generation and you know, expenditure as well? So we've got those key elements. The way that we're structured at the moment is that those projects are going to come from our members we will look at partnerships in and of that as well. But then with our Friends of Rotary group, where we've got 260 people, that's where they'll be able to engage in those initiatives as well. But essentially, one of the values of being a member is that you can propose projects. Hmm. Well, the, the, the list of questions appears to have been exhausted at the moment, Beck. But on a, a monumental day, the day that, that Arson got the uh, certificate of approval from, from Rotary International. What, what final words would you like to have about your amazing achievement? Oh, gosh, didn't, didn't prepare for, uh, for anything um, completely profound on that front. Look, I think at the end of the day, it's all about creating something that's bigger than ourselves, right? It's got to be bigger than me. It's got to be bigger than our, you know, our core team and even our current membership. Because if we want this to be sustainable, which we do, then yeah, it has to be elevated outside of us and not dependent on us. And I hope that we can serve as, yeah, an example for what Rotary, you know, can look like. And like I said, really focus on how we can personalise that, that element of Rotary. Because I guess my perspective is Rotary is so much more than the club experience. And while the club experience is fundamental building block, it is that a building block, which should be, you know, everyone's journey should continue, continue beyond that. So 
I appreciate there's a range of ideas there, but hopefully everyone can take something from that final summation. Yeah, thank you, Beck. Thank well, you, yeah, no, it's it has been fabulous. Thank you. That's been you know the best best part of fifty minutes of full on energy, some great ideas, and I, I learn something new every time I you know it's something good to know every time I talk to you about Rotary Beck. And once again, it's been one of those you know, one of one of those fantastic experiences. But what I'd like everyone to do, please, is Beck's put herself put herself out here prepared prepared diligently for tonight and I'm going to unmute everyone and then I'd invite you to join me in a round of applause for our wonderful guest presenter so here we go right well well done Beck. well done Beck. Um, yeah, what I would like to do, if anyone is on the line who had seen my post before and doesn't mind and has a glass that they'd like to to toast and cheers, I know that there are a few of us. So yeah, to the Rotary Social Impact Network. Cheers. 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 Thank you so much, everyone. Um, and yeah, feel free to reach out on a personal level if you've still got any questions. Thanks so much for joining.